Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Have you ever been in a totally pitch black room where it seems as if there are things everywhere? Even when you know where everything is or where it was the last time you saw it, if the place is pitch black, everything feels different. In a pitch black room, you stretch out your arms because you expect to crash into a wall or a piece of furniture. Even in a familiar place, once the lights go out, you expect something to jump out and attack you. In other words, in the darkness, you expect to get hurt. There are times in life when you can expect to be in the darkness, when you will not be able to see what is directly in front of you or what is over in the corner. In these times, you must rely on your instincts and your memory. You must also realize that you are not in control. God is. When you find yourself in the darkness of an unfamiliar experience, do not fight God for control. Do not grope, grab, or swat off imaginary demons. Rather than shielding yourself from the expectation of pain, surrender. Drop your hands to your side. Take a long, deep breath. Concentrate on one thing that you know. Remember that God loves you and will protect you no matter where you are. Remember that what you can't see, God can. When you invoke the light of God to lead you and protect you, you will miraculously be able to see the way in or a new way out. It's here in the Archbishop's Corner where the darkness of the past, the unknown of the future, or the difficulty of the present are all put into perspective through the faith leadership of Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for meeting us in the Archbishop's Corner where you help us affirm through faith the light of God's love residing in every life. How are you today? Fine, thank you. I understand that you've got a a special Mass at the Cathedral this morning at 11 o'clock. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's the annual Respect Life Mass. You know, the first uh, week of October for many years now has been Respect Life Sunday. And, uh, of course, uh, in today's world, uh, the call is as urgent as ever, if not more so, on the importance of respecting life. I mean, everything from the horrific... Uh, abortions that take have taken place in our country over many years, and now the radical uh, kinds of uh, demands for abortion to include even children as they're being born. Um, and then, of course, uh, you also have the terrible uh, slaughters that are taking place through gun violence in our country, um, people being mowed down uh, in ordinary daily activities by people who have no respect for human life whatsoever. So it... And I do think the two are related because mm-hmm. if you don't, if you if you start to have a lack of respect for life, it, it in general it it eventually catches up with you. And this mass is at eleven o'clock at the Cathedral of Saint Joseph in Hartford. So uh, anybody who would like to participate is invited to to come. I presume, right? Certainly, it's the cathedral for all the people of the archdiocese, the Mother Church, and so I would hope as many of our Catholic people as possible would uh, find some occasion to go to the cathedral for for the liturgy. And this is a great occasion: the Respect Life Mass at the Cathedral, eleven o'clock this morning. Archbishop, today begins Mental Illness Awareness Week. 
and each year millions of Americans face the reality of living with a mental health condition. Mental illness affects everyone directly or indirectly through family, friends, co-workers. Unfortunately, there is widespread misunderstanding of this illness, which is why a full week is dedicated to educate the public and provide support and fight the stigma regarding mental health. Are there support groups or programs within the Archdiocese for those suffering with mental illness? Oh, I'm sure there are through Catholic Charities and Catholic certainly charities. through our Catholic hospitals. Um, I would, uh, I don't doubt that. But you know, I, I'm not a. Uh, I don't mean for a moment to suggest that mental illness is not an illness as such. Uh, but on the other hand, I do think sometimes that um, it is coupled not for everybody, but for a growing number of people in spiritual desolation too. Uh, I just think that, you know, mental illness can also be brought on by uh, intense uh, neglect or alienation or suffering. Uh, it's possible for that to happen, too. I, I always think of mental illness together with spiritual, uh, the spiritual dimension of the human person. Um, and I think that we, to the extent that our spiritual foundations, which are uh, so vital for mental health, uh, in my judgment... Uh, to the extent that that is so greatly weakened for many people and the pressures and crises of modern life, the alienation and isolation of so many people uh, without that spiritual uh, home or foundation or faith, I think that adds uh, significantly uh, to people's uh, mental uh, distress as well. Tomorrow, the Church celebrates the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, and this feast takes place in honor of a 16th century naval victory which secured Europe against Turkish invasion, a victory attributed to the praying of the rosary. Your thoughts, Archbishop, on the purpose of praying the rosary, how the rosary can become more than just uh, an automatic repetition of prayers, for instance. Well, the rosary is a very privileged way of honoring the Blessed Mother, uh, but we remember, too, that the prayers are, are not just about her. We also have the Gloria, the doxology, Glory be to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have the Our Father. And even in the, in the prayer, the Hail Mary itself, uh, we ask Mary to pray for us um, because uh, Mary is uh, uh, a privileged intercessor for us uh, in, uh, in the presence of God and with her Son, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, um, you know, at the foot of the cross, uh, Jesus gave Mary to be the mother of all believers in the person of the Apostle John. Behold your mother. And so uh, it's very appropriate that we ask her uh, motherly uh, intercession for all of us uh, and for our world. Tuesday is International Face Your Fears Day. It's a unique day celebrating people who face and overcome their fears, whether it's seeking a better job or flying on an airplane. If we all take a moment to consider what life might be like if we conquered some of our greater fears, we may live differently. Archbishop, any fears that you may have that you care to admit to? <laughs> <laughs> well, being a bishop today, there are many fears to be worried about. Um, Jay, I, I guess, you know, sometimes uh, you wonder what's coming down the pike next. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you just, the, the, the world and the, the situation of the church today is so strained and so uh, difficult uh, in many respects, very challenging, let's put it that way, to put it more positively, very challenging. But I think, um, you know, today when we look at the future, when we look at our country, the, the division and the rancor 
that's taking place, and not only in our country, but other countries as well. When we think of the loss of the faith by so many people and uh, turning away from faith in God, from religion, or certainly from the practice of the faith, you know, if we have to believe in the providence of God who governs all things uh, in the end. But, uh, yeah, these, these, I think, are cause for, for a certain kind of fear or anxiety, uncertainty about mm-hmm. where things are really headed. Wednesday, October 9th, is National Pro-Life Cupcake Day. It's created by Cupcakes for Life to help others realize that not every child has the chance to have a birthday because of abortion. To remember those children's lives, National Pro-Life Cupcake Day was created to raise awareness about the issue of abortion and the impact that it is having. To reach out to the general public, cupcakes are used to start the conversation about abortion and potentially educate individuals about issues that would ordinarily be suppressed to silence. What are your thoughts, Archbishop, on this approach to the topic of abortion? Well, anything that keeps it before the public consciousness and that invites people and encourages people uh, to consider what's at stake here and to respect life, I think that's for the good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yes, that would be an appropriate way to, you know, the, the opinion polls suggest that most Americans are not in favor of these radical attacks against human life, even up to the moment of birth itself. And of course, there are people who advocate in high circles, some of them, that even babies after they're born some time should be allowed to be uh, uh, killed. You talk about the slippery slope, not to mention assisted suicide at the other end of the spectrum. You know, really, Pope John Paul, St. John Paul, talked about, you know, uh, a culture of death. And I must say, in many respects, this is being realized. We had occasion to talk earlier about, um, you know, the all this violence of people being shot uh, uh, by these gunmen or in schools, I mean, and, and the increase in suicides, this is all part of, of, uh, of, of a piece. It's not, these are not unrelated things. And so uh, respect for your own life, respect for the life of others, respect for the elderly, the unborn, this is all uh, of one fabric. And ultimately, it's only uh, faith in God, respect of God, and even fear of God in the best sense of the, of the word as the scriptures understand it. Uh, is important for for to this respect to hold. So don't be afraid to start the conversation about abortion on National Pro-Life Cupcake Day, which is Wednesday. Thursday is World Homeless Day, and the aim and the slogan of the day is Locals Act Locally on a Global Day. The emphasis is on giving hands-on aid that is sensitive to local needs while being aware of the global problem of homelessness and, and feeling solidarity with other charity workers around the world. It seems that that slogan of locals act locally warrants perhaps modification after we just went through the horrible destruction of so many homes in the Bahamas due to Hurricane Dorian. According to the United Nations, 70,000 people were left homeless in the Bahamas. In the face of this, what should our response be, Archbishop? Well, I think, uh, you know, the, the, sometimes the uh, challenges can seem so overwhelming. You've just given a statistic in the Bahamas uh, but there are many places in the world that, you know, imagine those further afield, sometimes the typhoons in the Pacific uh, or situations in Africa or Latin America, uh, not to mention, uh, uh, you know, uh, homelessness in our own country. And I think there we all have to do uh, what we can. We, if we all try to do something, some people 
uh, are very uh, heroic and they're very generous and they're able to the circumstances of their life to organize different things, to help, to do things. Others of us contribute uh, what we can, like to Catholic Relief Services for the Bahamas, for example, uh, or some other thing. I mean, I know many fine Catholic people in the United States uh, who've gone to other countries uh, personally Mm -hmm. to help uh, with various things. So the important thing is that we all do something. How how much we can do depends on our circumstances, but I do think, uh, you know, what is the old trite saying, you're better to light a candle than curse the darkness, that we all try to do something. On this Friday, October 11th, it marks the 57th year since Pope John XXIII announced the Second Vatican Council to the world. This is kind of an open question for you, Archbishop. What did the Second Vatican Council do for the Church? Well, my goodness, that's... (laughs) It's an open question. That's like saying, the sun came up this morning, what does it do? (laughs) I uh, I mean, obviously, the Second Vatican Council is one council out of... Uh, many that the church has had over 2,000 years, but it's the one that has most shaped our present reality as lived in the Catholic Church. And it was an attempt uh, to, well, not an attempt, it was a God-inspired, um, um, grace-filled uh, moment uh, for the church to look uh, at uh, herself in the world of today and to try to be uh, uh, reinvigorated in faith, uh, to try to address the actual situation of the world today Uh, and so many of the things that we face with regard to religion today uh, have their roots in those times and that I think the church was the council was trying to anticipate some of the sense of what was happening and trying to prepare us for it how well we have responded uh, how well some of the things envisioned by the council have worked uh, is subject to debate but I think the thought would be that uh, without the council, we would probably be in much worse shape than we are in trying to deal with uh, many of the uh, revolutionary things that have happened in society since since those days. Things have happened in society since the, even the Second Vatican Council closed, and so many things in, in, in new to society in ways of approach, including technology and how the Church responds to technology in this new era of time. I wonder what you think, what you would think of, is it time for the Third Vatican Council? Oh, I don't know. Uh, that You don't hear much talk about that occasionally about something, but I don't know. I, I would say this, that um, the, uh, uh, you know, the fruitfulness of the council comes from actually uh, observing and doing what the council said and upholding what the council taught. So many people in those revolutionary times and continuing today use the council as a springboard to dissent or to from church teaching or denial of this or that. So I think, you know, Pope Benedict addressed this. Well, all the popes have, but Pope Benedict, you know, that uh, there's it's a continuity, not discontinuity. I mean, I don't know anybody could read the documents of the Second Vatican Council and think that there is some discontinuity with the fundamental teaching and practice of the church. Uh, It was meant to renew, not to destroy. So uh, those people who use it as an excuse to deny fundamental truths of the faith or, you know, doctrine or practice, that doesn't lead to anything good. Uh, So um, there are those who say, well, the council still hasn't even borne its fruit completely because it's too soon. Uh, But in the 2,000-year history of the church, councils don't happen all that often. I don't don't, uh, have any particular 
in God's own good time, if there's meant to be a council, uh, there will be one. Well, let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life. And this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and we'll ask you to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said, Archbishop. And this is taken from Pope Francis's address delivered on July 25th of 2013, and is called Adding Water to the Beans. He says, It is important to know how to welcome people. It is more beautiful than any kind of ornament or decoration. I say this because when we are generous in welcome people and sharing something with them, a bit of food, a place in our homes, our time, we are not poorer for it. We are enriched. I know that when someone in need of food knocks on your door, you always find a way of sharing food with them. As the proverb says, one can always add more water to the beans. Can you add more water to the beans? Always. What is more, you can do it with love, demonstrating that true riches are found not in material things, but in the heart. Archbishop, your thoughts? Well, certainly this is very straightforward and a very homey example uh, uh, associated with the Holy Father. You know, a homey proverb uh, that you can always add more water to the beans. In other words, you can always make another place at the table uh, when the stranger comes or someone in need. And it's basically about being welcoming, uh, uh, you know, and uh, that, of course, is always uh, a part of our faith that we, we, we are challenged to live. It's part of our parishes, too, to be welcoming communities of faith. Oh, yes, absolutely. Any parish that closes in on itself as a little in-group or we've always been here and who are you, that is not the spirit of the gospel at all. And we have to constantly be fighting the temptation for that and be uh, open to, uh, to welcoming. We've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, but let's look at our gospel reading for today. And this gospel reading on the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time is taken from Luke's gospel, once again, the 17th chapter, and after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts on what this gospel means. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this sycamine tree, be rooted up, and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come in once and sit down at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and gird yourself and serve me till I eat and drink, and afterward you shall eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that is commanded, you say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Archbishop, what is Jesus trying to teach his disciples through this parable? Well, really, it's, uh, there are two things here. <clears throat> the first is about faith, that uh, the power of faith. And I think it's a beautiful prayer that the apostles said to Jesus, increase our faith, because he was saying things to them that they found very hard. Mm. They couldn't understand uh, Imagine, you know, somebody, a, a person who looked and talked and acted uh, just like you did as a human being, claiming to be God. I mean, uh, this this was very hard, and yet they were they were torn because uh, the power of uh, what Christ said and how He said it and what He did, and uh, you know, this kind of unfolding of this divine mystery. So they say, increase our faith, and you know, sometimes we wonder how. We should pray. I can't think of a better prayer than that. Increase our faith. Uh, they were struggling. They were really struggling. Um, uh, 
I remember, you know, the other passage in the gospel where the father of the sick child says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. That's another similar prayer that's so important. We all have to say that prayer sometimes. And what does Jesus say? If you had faith the size of a tiny seed, you could move mountains. Well, sometimes it's hard for us to believe that. It's hard for us to acknowledge it because it doesn't seem sometimes that faith is able to do that. But we have to look uh, with the horizon of eternity. uh, And when we look back, uh, one day we will understand the truth of Christ's words. And then, of course, the second thing is about when we've done all that we're commanded to do, we should say we are unprofitable servants. We have done only what we were obliged to do. And I think that kind of puts us in our place properly, humbly, with regard to God. Of course, that doesn't mean that we are nothing. It means that we, we are going to be glorified, but we are going to be glorified not through our own efforts or through our own actions, accomplishments, but we are going to be glorified because we were servants. And uh, to serve God is to reign, as the old saying goes. To serve God is to reign. That's what will happen to us. There's a, there's a kind of harshness in this gospel passage that we're not used to because it violates our image of Jesus as a kind and caring person. Picture a servant who had worked all day in the field under the hot sun, plowing and tending sheep. And then at sundown, he goes to the house and continues working. Even though his back is aching and he's tired, he has to prepare and serve his master's meal. Only after that is he allowed to rest and eat himself. And to make matters worse, the master did not feel or express one ounce of appreciation for all that the servant had done. Can you make sense of this and how it relates to a request for an increase in faith? Well, this, this sense, I would, I would say that Jesus is giving us um, not, uh, I would say, a stern message. And the stern message is that God is God and the Creator, we are creatures, and He loves us. And He, uh, to serve God is to fulfill, is not to diminish us, but to serve God is to fulfill everything that we were meant to be and to give us glory. That is the, you know, this, the paradox of all this, that to serve God is to reign. Uh, to 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 be a servant is to be is to be glorified. Uh, and the reason that is not haughty on the part of Christ is that He did exactly what He what He told us to do. When He went to the cross, when He incarnate in obedience to the Father, He did all these things and suffered all these things. And we say, how can that be? You know, how could God the Father? ask this or command this of his only begotten son. And yet we know that in the end, it is the cause of absolute glorification and vindication and and eternal glory. Sometimes we meet situations in life over which we have little or no control. For instance, you get fired from your job or you receive a diagnosis of, of having cancer or your car gets totaled in an accident. So sometimes the only healthy answer is to accept life as it really is and deal with it that way. Is it faith that helps us cope? Well, of course. I mean, if if uh, if we if we're people of faith, by which we mean not just that we believe certain facts, but we put all our trust in God and we believe in divine providence. That uh, to all thi- to those who love God, all things work together unto good. Saint Paul says that yes, in a sinful and fallen world, uh, filled with accidents and and bad news and suffering and and such violence that if we uh, confront all these things with faith, just as Jesus confronted the horrific um, passion and death 
uh, with total trust in his father, then we too will rise and we will, we will be vindicated. Let's look at some questions from our listeners. Karen from Middlebury says, I've never quite understood the practical difference between veneration, Mary, the saints, and adoration, God. What specific act is reserved only for God in the life of the church that would make it distinct from veneration? Well, I think what would make it distinct is worship. We do not worship Mary and the saints. We venerate, we honor them. Uh, uh, but worship is for God alone. Rich from Manchester says, From what I understand, the Catechism of the Catholic Church indicates that if a person commits suicide, they may not be fully right in their mind, and therefore not 100% morally guilty. It is then up to Christ to judge them. If someone dies from an opioid overdose, it can be argued that they are not right in their mind. What is the Catholic Church's response to the opioid epidemic and those that overdose? Well, Rich, you're quite right. Uh, you know, for something to be a mortal sin, it must be seriously uh, evil or wrong. We must know that it is seriously wrong, and we must consent to it. And uh, it's that third one, the consent, that is at stake in, in your question. Because as a person who is um, mentally disturbed, to what extent are they fr- do they freely consent to what they're doing? If a person's not in their right mind, they might do something that really, you know, is not an act of full deliberate rebellion against God and the commandments. So, same thing with the opioid overdose. If a person becomes addicted in some way, that their judgment is impaired, then, uh, you know, if they should die from that, it it, it is, you know, uh, we, we commend them to the mercy of God. We don't, we can't make an absolute judgment about uh, about them. Only God can do that. Well, here's a question from Anita from Harwinton. And Anita says, a few weeks ago, while Pope Francis was on his way to Mozambique, he acknowledged the opposition that he has faced from Catholic critics in the United States. These critics often complain that Pope Francis is retreating in the culture wars and spreading confusion in the church. His response was, it's an honor that the Americans attack me. What are your thoughts on the Pope's response? How do you respond to criticism? Well, Anita, I saw that too, and I haven't heard much more about it, and it's probably just as well. Uh, yes, the Pope uh, has been criticized by some, uh, and uh, I think one has to, with charity and um, with integrity, look at the arguments that are made, not about the Pope personally, but about these doctrinal issues, whether, in fact, they are certain problematic things or not. Uh, But I can tell you that um, I think the Pope probably got a little bit uh, annoyed here when he said that, to say the least. Uh, I don't think he meant all Americans by any means. I think he meant specifically some people in our country who are said to have uh, criticized uh, some of the things of his pontificate. And quite honestly, that is not just coming from the United States. There are other places where this is the case as well. So, But I would say this, that the church has never been reformed or built up by attacking the pope. 
uh, for a Catholic. Uh, so I think uh, if there are arguments to be made, um, uh, charitable, uh, 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 theological, philosophical discussion to be had about certain aspects of what's going on in church teaching, that's one thing. But, uh, you know, I think we have to be very careful that uh, that, that kind of uh, discussion uh, is not about attacking the Holy Father. Uh, because, as I say, uh, th that's never uh, been uh, an authentic and positive way or helpful way of uh, furthering the life of the Church. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, uh, today we come before you once again asking that you increase our faith, that, as you have told us, if it's but the size of a tiny mustard seed, we can move mountains and so we pray that we will be blessed with this gift of faith in, at a time when faith is so very challenged. And we ask also that you would bless us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. And uh, I just want to remind our listeners once again that the Respect Life Mass is going to be held at the Cathedral of St. Joseph in Hartford this morning at 11 o'clock. There's still time to get there. I hope you participate. Archbishop, thanks once again and have a wonderful week. You too. Thank you.